Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. You had capital punishment thrust upon you for some reason. And I was like, you know, I, I, I'm willing to die in their place. Now, most judges aren't going to allow that to happen. But if, I, if he said, okay, somebody has to, the justice is going to happen here, you can take their place. That would be cool for you, right? But in this case with God, I can't take your place because I'm also guilty in, on death row. We all have sin, so we're all guilty. So how could I ever take the place of even one person because I'm also guilty. Somebody on death row can't be like, uh, I'll take his crime. What are we going to do? Kill you twice? You know, like, that's not going to happen. Jesus is able to, to pay the penalty for you. And if he was just a man, he could pay the penalty for one of us. But since he's infinite God, he can pay the penalty for every single person. So a few years ago, Somebody gave me a gift, and I'm always getting random Star Wars gifts. The other day, uh, a teacher, I, I teach a preschool chapel, like every week at a local Christian school. It's so stretching because there's kindergartners and fifth graders, and I'm like, I don't want to like, be too kidsy for the fifth graders, but I also don't want to lose the kindergartners because we're talking too deep or something. So it's always like a lot of physical comedy. Anyways, like, here, kid, let's come up here, and you can be this or whatever. A lot of fun, right? One of the teachers brings me a chocolate Darth Vader. Like just his head. And she's like, I know you collect stuff. I mean, you can eat it or you can display it. And I'm thinking, do I display this chocolate Darth Vader forever? Or do I eat it? Because chocolate turns white eventually. It'd be like this like white spotted leprosy looking Darth Vader, right? So um, it's gone. All right. So if you ever give me something edible, this Darth Vader, like uh, Star Wars, I'm going to eat it. But the other stuff I like to display and so forth. And somebody gave me this. This is a Yoda. All right, and this Yoda particularly came out like 19, I don't know, maybe 2000 something. I don't know. Where does it say? 2003. Okay, so I've had this for a while now. <clears throat> a while. And my son was born in 2005, so I had it for several years before my son noticed it. All right, at two in 2007, he wanted to take it on a trip. It's kind of annoying. I don't have any batteries in it because it's kind of annoying, right? So it's like a magic eight ball except you don't shake it, you squeeze the hand, and it would say like, yes, I feel this will be, or no, this is, or uncertain the force, you know? It'll say things like that, like in a circle, and you, I, I just walk into my wife and be like, um, is dinner almost ready? Yes, I feel this would be. You know, like I'm just kind of joking. You know, I do that, like just joking around. I get it to the right one because I saw there was a pattern. And then I would get it to say something that I liked or like, um, she's like, you, you need to clean out the garage Saturday. I'm like, should we clean out the garage today? And she's like, yes. And he's like, no, I feel this is. I was like, well, we got to go with, you know, the, he is a wise Jedi master, right? So I would use it to just, just joking around, right? So my son wants to see it. And we're going on a trip to Florida, where my parents lived at the time. They retired to Florida. They've retired to five different places now. They, they, they went to their last house in Virginia, and then their last house in Florida, then a different last house in Florida. And then finally, they're just following around who has the youngest grandkid. And now that we have the youngest grandkid, they're in North Carolina. So like, if anybody else, there's six of us siblings. So if anybody else has a kid, they're out of here, right? Um, <clears throat> anyways, so Luke has this as a two-year-old in his back seat. And he squeezes it. Yes, I feel this will be. And after a few squeezes, my wife gives me the look. Why did you give that to him? I'm like, ah, I mean, you know, you got to raise him right. 
He's got to, he's got to like learn that this is, this is a good thing, Yoda. And so he's, he's squeezing the thing and he just keeps going and keeps going. And finally she's like, next rest area, gas station, fast food place, whatever we stop at, that thing goes in the back, like all the way in the back. I'm like, fine, 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 fine. And then all of a sudden, almost like out of a horror movie, a story, would you like to hear? And we're both like, Oh my gosh, I think I even hit the brakes on the highway like, and, and kept going a little bit. I'm like, what is that? And it's like, a story of the Jedi and Sith? And started doing all this stuff. He starts telling the story of episode one and it takes him 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's like, it just keeps going. And Luke's back there trying to figure out, it won't stop. Like he's trying to squeeze the hands and stuff to get it to stop. He's, so he's just listening to it. <clears throat> when it finishes that, it goes through episode two. It's like another story and he's still squeezing the hands so it just starts. We stop at a rest area and I don't take it from him. I'm like, let's just leave it where it is. Let it keep going. It was already starting on episode three. We got back. We heard the last bit of it. And then it went through four, five, and six. Those are the only things out at the time. All right. Um, actually, it didn't, have, it didn't have three. It was on episode four because this came out in 2003. So it didn't have that one yet. But anyways, it went through five movies on the way down to Florida, 20 minutes each, as told by Yoda, which I never heard Star Wars told by Yoda before, which I thought was cool. But I also was like, I've had this for years. I had this like for like four years before Luke was doing that. What is going on with it? So finally we get there, I, I pick it up and I'm just like, I don't get it. And I'm squeezing the, the hands and stuff and it hadn't talked for a while. And all of a sudden it's like, no, this will be. And I'm like, what, is, what gives? Like, what is this? And I turn the thing over and on the bottom of this, it's got a switch here that says play off and try me. So the try me mode on toys is so that kids don't squeeze them in the store and they just talk and talk until they run out of batteries. It just does something simple like no, this is, or yes, this is. Like that was the minor function, but I opened the package like an ape and didn't read any of the instructions and just tossed it. I'm like, I mean, I can figure out squeezing a hand. And I never turned it over and realized you can turn it on and off because it has a little sensor I could feel right here. So when you would pick it up, it would be like going somewhere, are we? And then you would start squeezing its hand and it would do stuff. Say yes and no and maybe basically. And I realized, wow, this is a lot cooler than I thought it was. Like it really was just kind of eh. And this is exactly what it's like to be alive, but not really be alive. This is exactly what it's like to have been created by God, born into sin because of Adam, and not truly live in your purpose because you don't know what you were made for. And some of us, and I did this until I was 15, lived in try me mode, not realizing that there was somebody who could flip a switch within us that would change literally everything. Everything about who we are. We would become part of a bigger story instead of just trying to go from one decision to the next and trying different things and trying to dig ourselves out of this thing just like we saw in the skit where we're under death the whole time but we're trying all these things almost like shadows of life or things that mimic life but not real life, not truly breathing deep I have a friend who wrote a book a couple years ago. Um, it's, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's called, um, I got this. Something about whales. I read it. I really did. It's, 
I was going to plug it for him. Redwoods in Wales. That's what it is. Redwoods in Wales by Phil Joel. From, he used to be in the Newsboys. Anyways, um, we do a camp together every year. And he wrote this book. And in it, he tells this story. There's a really cool thing about the Redwoods. We're not going to talk about that. But he tells this story about these whales. And he came upon a whale. And it was like he was near Washington in North, Northern California. And he was going around these big rock things on the beach one day, just kind of spending some time with God. And he came upon a beached whale, a very young whale. And it was breathing shallow and getting almost nothing. And there's nothing he could do. It was too far gone. And he just stood there. And in that moment, he was like, he was like really saddened by this. I know you, like, you might come across a, a bug that's been squished. It's a little different when you come across a massive whale. And you're like, oh my goodness, a whale. And so he did some research on why this happens. Do they get confused? Like, what's going on? And these pods of whales will go around, and these adolescent whales that are basically the teenagers of the whale world, they'll see something shiny off. It could be a fish or something. They see something shiny further away, and they get separated from their pod, and they get confused, and they end up beached, breathing shallow, and dying slowly. And he just came up with this analogy that that's what it is like to live life without Jesus. It's like a whale that was meant to be part of something way bigger, a collective of sorts of the church. But they're on a beach, breathing shallow and dying slowly, living in try me mode. And that is not something God wants for us at all. In Hosea 13, verse 14, it says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? When Christ comes in, having paid for our sins, he does away with the power of death over us. It has no more final say on you. It doesn't get to claim you. He's already paid for it. Now you might think, okay, wait. If Jesus already paid for the sins of the whole world, why aren't we just automatically forgiven? The same free will that allowed us to opt out of a relationship with God in the garden, there was a tree of life. You could eat of the tree of life and live forever. And next to it, because it said they were both in the midst of the garden, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, essentially a tree of death. And they got to choose between these. And when they ate from the tree of death, they had to leave the garden and they could not come back in and take from the tree of life, which is in the book of Revelation, by the way. It's available to you in heaven. 12 different fruits, one for each month. Pretty awesome. They could no longer eat from a tree that gave them life, that was God giving them life. But now they're breathing shallow and dying slowly. And the day they ate of it, God said they would surely die. And yet they were still walking around, but they were dead inside. Spiritual death had been passed upon, upon them and they gave it to each one of us. And God desires to breathe life into you once again, to make you new. When he flips that switch, it's very much like was written in Ezekiel and I'm going to read Ezekiel 37. I'm going to read a few verses. So if you're like, oh, I hate when people read a few verses, you know, but that's okay. 
Because I feel like this is an accurate description of God bringing life out of death. And he doesn't do this necessarily to symbolize somebody becoming a Christian. But he's talking about bringing the Jews back from exile and making them alive once again when it comes to living in God's promise. But it's a good analogy of of what he does to us when we come to Jesus. Ezekiel says in verse one, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. This is a vision he's having here. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry. It had been a while. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Like, I don't don't know. It's up to you, God. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This isn't some kind of zombie movie or something. You're actually like, he's going to see this in like reverse order. Like instead of decomposition, he's going to see composition, right? Which is like writing a music composition, right? Same word, but backwards. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. There was, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. God did this to show him that his promise wasn't over And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you're living in try me mode. You've never come to a point in your life where you've turned from your sins and given them to Jesus and accepted his death, burial, and resurrection in your place. And that is what it is. It is in your place. I I firmly believe that if you were the only one that he created, he would have died for you. He wasn't like, well, there's finally enough people if we get to 8 billion on the planet, and I know that's going to happen by 2024, I'll die in the year 3080. That's not it. Like, he just loves you. You're his creation, by the way. 
He designed you. You're his masterpiece, his handiwork. You're something he made and then breathed life into you. Somewhere along the way, what we're breathing isn't an everlasting breath. It's shallow and we're dying. And we need him to breathe life back into us, to take these weary bones and to put flesh on them and to make us something new. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new is here. That is what he promises to us when we come to him, that he makes us new. I did, a, I did a thing several years ago when I was probably in my 20s as a youth pastor. I was just trying to, you know, gimmicks. We try to do things like it's pizza night or whatever. Try to get, bring your friends, you know, all this stuff. Try to get people in there. That's not kind of my goal now is not to get just a lot of people in the room. It's to disciple the people that God brings. <laughs> That's kind of switched over the years. But at the time I was like, okay. I'm going to do this. And so my youth leaders didn't even know. I was like, okay, next week when you come, I'm going to tell you biblically why God says that you can kill your friends. All right, see you next week, right? The room was packed with kids who wanted to know why they could kill, not their friends. Sorry, I said enemies. (laughs) Why would you want to kill your friends? Anyways. So why you could kill your enemies from the Bible's perspective, right? They all show up at everything. And I start talking about how Christ takes the old man and that old man that I was dies and he resurrects us and he makes us new. I was like, so if you don't like somebody, because I've seen them do it, maybe you've done it too. Somebody comes into your youth group that you don't really like and somebody must have invited them or they found out and you're thinking, this is my youth group. This, This can't happen. Tammy cannot be here. I don't know if you have a Tammy, but is there a Tammy here? I'm sorry. You can be here. We love you. All right. I was trying to pick a name I hadn't heard this weekend so far. All right. So Tammy can't be here. My goodness. She could, of all the churches in all the world, and you know she just doesn't, she doesn't know God. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I want her to. I mean, we get all these thoughts in our mind about how bad that person is. We don't realize what, we're, what we have animosity towards is not the Holy Spirit of God and somebody else. It's somebody who was just like we were, dead in their sins. And of course, we don't have anything super in common with that person. But introducing them to Jesus is the best thing you can do because he'll take the old and he'll make them completely new. I have friends that I used to not be able to stand, but Jesus did a miraculous change in them. Some of my friends have a friend that they used to not be able to stand, but Jesus did a miraculous change in him. I have a good, close friend that told me in sixth grade that he couldn't hang out with me anymore because of the way I treated people. And I said, oh, your mom won't let you? He's like, my mom doesn't have any idea how you treat people. I don't want to be around this. And as much as that hurt, I just started treating him bad because I didn't want to change who I was because he had found Christ and I had not. So when God comes into your life, everything changes. He loves you too much to leave you the way he finds you. He loves us in spite of who we are. I think sometimes we hear that God is love and he loves us. So we think, well, he's going to love me for every little thing I do. No, he loves us in spite of who we are. And he loves us because he knows who we were created to be. 
The sin thing doesn't hold him back from coming out of heaven, coming to earth, living a sinless life and giving his life for us. He's like, they're, they're, beyond, they're beyond all hope, but they're not beyond my reach. I'll do what it takes. And just like he gave an opt out in that garden so that it would be actual love because it's not love without choice. If I proposed to my wife, but I had a gun in my hand, that's not love. She had a choice to say yes or no to me. She still said yes for some reason, right? And God wants us to choose him too. And so he doesn't, because he died on the cross, say, okay, now you all have to be with me for eternity. We still have a choice, just like Adam and Eve did. Will we accept the real tree of life, the one that he was nailed to, to give us life? Will we accept what he did on the cross for us and have a new relationship with him? Or will we try to do our own thing in try me mode? Breathing shallow and dying slowly. Would you bow your head with me tonight? We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.